And a hearty welcome to one and all. This is episode 90 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all for spending some of your early Saturday evening here with me. If you're checking out this episode on the YouTube channel or enjoying the content, haven't done so already, don't forget to click like, subscribe, comment, turn on those notifications. Or if you're catching up with episode 90 on the audio platform, such as Spotify or iTunes, same general rule applies. Click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. So knowing this is episode 90 got me thinking about the 90s, which I've argued and probably will argue again on more than one podcast, just from different perspectives. The single best decade that Hollywood has ever had. Better than the 30s, even better than the 70s. What I want to talk about specifically, I've spoken briefly about horror films, and I did a podcast where I discussed this, Angel Heart, Alan Parker, Sir Alan Parker, the late great uh, 1987 kind of mystery supernatural thriller, Chinatown Meets the Exorcist, as my favorite horror film. But I haven't really spent that much time discussing the horror genre. And I'd like to talk about a movie that is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. The most polarizing horror film ever made, and certainly in the conversation as far as most polarizing films to come out of Hollywood, whether independent route or studio. And that would be Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, experimental at the time. Groundbreaking, pioneering, found footage, classic, The Blair Witch Project, which has a record that I guarantee you will never be broken. It is a movie that grossed more than 4,000 times its production cost. It did 140 plus in the United States million and 248 plus million worldwide. And its budget was estimated at somewhere around $60,000. It is a staggering ROI, as we like to say in poker. What's your ROI? Well, it was a $10 buy-in and I won $100,000, so your ROI within, in that case, be $10,000. Very unlikely to do that, but you get the point. It cost a normal person amount of money. Not that everybody has $60,000 to sink in a movie, but there are stories in Hollywood of people like Robert Townsend. You know, you get credit cards, you max them out, you can make a movie. They didn't even have to go that far. Uh, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. They made their movie, they got the cast, they figured it out. And the movie, to me, is spectacularly successful at what it tries to do. And when I say polarizing in this instance, there's a lot of people that just think it isn't scary and it's boring and dull. You don't get to see the monster. It's kind of the point, but okay. How often have we seen horror movies when they actually show the monster to let them? You know, I love I, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, great movie. But the more you see the shark, the more you realize it's not a real shark. The fact that they couldn't get the thing to work was to the film's benefit. It kind of almost looks like a real shark. If you saw it more, it wouldn't work. Blair Witch Project works because we have to, we not have to. We end up creating the images and the pictures in our heads and our imaginations. So the Blair Witch Project was released to theaters in summer of 1999. But the story doesn't start there. 
the story starts way before that with an annual event which just concluded, if I'm not mistaken, Sundance Film Festival. Now, in the earlier days of the internet, now by like 1999, the internet was, was really rolling and most people had internet access, at least people that I knew of, through the computer, you know, dial-up internet, that kind of thing. Cell phones were still kind of in their infancy back then, relative to now. So there, it wasn't like this production was being tracked or followed on some form of social media. It didn't really exist. But I was keeping up with all of the trends, because at the time I was involved in a couple of different projects that looked like they might, they might get made, they might go. So I was very much aware of who was doing what at what level of the business. I don't mean the people at the top of the mountain but the people in the, the mid-range and maybe slightly below who were able to get projects done, I was keeping track because um, somebody who had made a lot of kind of films in the thriller genre was pondering one of my earlier scripts, so I was following him. And coming out of the 1999 Sundance Film Festival, there was enormous buzz for a new movie, which some people were calling a snuff film, which is more or less saying that a movie which is showing actual people dying, like Faces of Death, which was a big one when us Gen Xers were kids. Oh, I saw Faces of Death. I saw right through that bullshit. What the more I read about it, it's a snuff film. It's not a snuff film. Get the fuck out of here. But the articles were teasing the possibility. And people who saw Blair Witch Project, I'm sure there were those at the Sundance that thought it was crap, and this isn't scary. The fact that it was made for so little money, it's written through every frame. But enough people who saw it were going nuts that they had at least one extra screening just to get more people to see it and enhance interest and probably get a deal for the two filmmakers, which is exactly what happened. Now, what they were able to do, uh, Myrick and Sanchez, kind of geniuses behind the Blair Witch Project. They put together a website, and the website was the key. The website did not really let you know that this was a fictional film, a mockumentary, if you will, a found footage movie. The website suggested the three filmmakers disappeared into the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland. A year later, their footage was found. Found footage, right? One plus one equals two. I knew that this was false. There was enough information on the internet, even with people kind of playing up that angle. I said, okay, these are actors. This is not a snuff film. But I was really excited to see it because as much as there were some people, uh, some dispatches from Sundance, you know, I, I get why there's hype, but the film didn't work for me. But there was so much of people being knocked out by it. Like, this is the scariest film we've ever seen. It appears that at least two-thirds, if not three-quarters, of people who took in whatever screens, I think there were a total of three for this film at that particular Sundance there was a very high percentage of people that were raving about it and went through the ceiling and bid up 
the property as far as who was going to end up marketing it. And there was there were rumors that Oliver Stone wanted to get involved, and he had tried to get involved with Scream, which was about two years earlier. Actually, maybe it was more like three years earlier. Uh, and that didn't work out. They ended up going with a company called Artisan Entertainment, and I don't remember who handled the distribution, whether it was Artisan, but they, I remember the posters, the name Artisan Entertainment was all over. But back then, yes, it, we had moved past the Gen X Stone Ages of only being to watch something if it happened to be on TV. But things still move very, very slowly. And in this case, here we are in January of 1999, people are going batshit crazy about this movie, and when they announce a release date of July 30th or whatever the exact date was, I'm not gonna get to see this movie for six months. So, I was looking forward to the Blair Witch Project for half a year. Oftentimes, when you have a big buildup, the release, it ain't worth it. Or to quote Timothy Oliphant in the movie The Girl Next Door, he's talking to Emile Hirsch, is the juice worth the squeeze? Well, I didn't know if the juice was going to be worth the squeeze. Was it really going to be worth six months of saying, why the fuck can't we see this movie soon? There continued to be a lot of people who were legitimately confused and thought this was real. Because not everyone is me poking around and saying, okay, I got confirmation, this is not real, this guy says it is real. There are people that were very well respected in the industry that are like, it's not real, folks. Nowadays, you wouldn't be able to get rid of a con, uh, get away with a con like that because of social media. Too many people would say, come on, filmmakers are, they're not dead. Heather's working on a new project right now. She's working on a movie with Jason Biggs as we speak. Joshua Leonard is working with Robert De Niro and Cuba Gooding Jr. on movie. They're fine. I don't believe you. Okay. But with all the buildup, the movie opened, as I say, unfortunately, six months later. And 1999 is another great movie year. There are those who have argued that 1999 is the best year for Hollywood ever. I will always say 1993. But that's a good debate, because there's no real right answer. It's all a matter of opinion. You have 10 masterpiece-level films from one year and 10 from another. Groundbreaking films, films that change the game. How do you even, how do you even assess that? There's no myth formula for it. But the advance buzz was very, very serious. And all of the New York papers loved it. Daily News, rave review. Newsday, rave review. Post, rave review. Even the New York Times. The New York Times never gave a star rate. The Post and the News and Newsday did. And I believe they all gave it either three and a half or four stars, if memory serves. Rotten Tomatoes, in its early days, the movie was in the high 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. See, the thing is, because it did different, it tried something in a different realm. In a weird way, it's more of a critic's movie. It turned out to be more of a critic's movie than an audience movie. When that film, before it was released, and the critics saw it, there were people saying, this is going to get a Best Picture nomination for Oscar, and this was a time where there were only five. And it was actually chatter that Heather Donahue, the actress, 
who basically is playing herself, that her performance was so real and so terrifying and so strong, there was actually talk that she could get a Best Actress nomination with only five slots. With all of that, even my dad was into it. He normally wasn't the biggest horror movie fan. But dad and I went to see it at the Broadway Mall in Hicksville at the time and for many years in the 90s. My favorite place to see a movie. Used to live in Woodbury. It was a much quicker drive than from Huntington. But we went to the Broadway Mall Saturday night. Pretty sure it was Saturday, not Friday. It was a packed house. And it seemed as if everybody was in on it and breathless anticipation from the beginning until the end. Now, I remember watching it, and I was interested in the story, and obviously the kind of lighthearted moments in the first half hour. You knew that those lighthearted moments weren't going to last. Otherwise, there's no move. Otherwise, there's no con of these people are actually dead. When things started to go wrong, there's a stretch in the movie where, for me, it felt like the MTV reality show, uh, Real World. It felt like the real world gone awry for about 20 minutes, where it's just nothing really that scary has happened. It's three 20-somethings cursing each other out in an endless loop for about 20 minutes. But then as the movie reaches, we don't realize it at the time, but as the movie reaches its final act, the news begins to tighten. And classic horror movie tropes are in play. Creepy house, creepy noises, creepy voices. And little bits of narrative information that had come out early in the film as our intrepid filmmakers start their journey into the woods. I was paying attention to all of those conversations. Sometimes it would just, you know, go in one ear and out the other. But I remembered the conversations. And when we reached a moment in the film where one of those conversations pays off, hugely, I was dazzled. And I got a chill up and down my spine. And the movie ends suddenly, no spoilers for those who haven't seen it, but maybe are curious, does it hold up compared to the paranormal activity, you know, style of this found footage subgenre. The movie fucked me up worse than anything I had seen up to that point in my life. And I had been witness to a lot of very disturbing and horrifying films. Not only horror movies. I had to sit through Pier Paolo Pasolini's Salo two times. That is maybe the most disturbing movie ever made by a major filmmaker. Maybe? No, it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down on that hill. Anybody out there, try to find yourself. I don't even know if it's allowed to be shown. I can't possibly be on YouTube. It would need to be about 90% everything cut. No pun intended. But I've seen Solo, and that is the most disturbing movie ever made. The Blair Witch Project got under my skin even more. There were images from the Blair Witch Project that I couldn't shake. There were sounds from that movie that I could not shake. When Dad and I left that night, left the theater, there were people who appeared to be scared to death, and they were asking. They needed confirmation that it wasn't real. There was a girl, she was probably about 13, 
She was trembling, asking her father, are they really dead? Are they all dead? She wasn't the only one asking that question. The movie worked to that level. Now, having said that, I would say about one person in five, maybe one person in four that attended that particular showing at the Broadway Mall, late July 1999, left the theater laughing. They felt the movie was catastrophically bad and they wanted their money back. It was, you know, 83 minutes, whatever the amount of time was, just a total waste of their time and money. That night drove home and I could not relax. I could not calm myself down. My heart rate was about 150 when we were in the car driving home. My heart rate was 150 pretty much straight through until about 1 a.m. when I finally calmed down and was able to sleep. Even though I knew this story wasn't real, Heather Donahue, Mike Williams, Joshua Leonard were actors. And as we say, Joshua Leonard actually has had a terrific career. If you Google him, he was in a lot of movies through the 2000s. He's about the same age as me. And Heather Donahue, did, she had a nice run herself, kind of fizzled out. She didn't, get, she didn't end up getting as much acclaim for Blair Witch as it appeared before the movie was released that she was going to. But she did do that movie, I'm not sure of the title, but the movie she did with Jason Biggs. Um, and her role is actually a pretty significant role. Like she's a, a main supporting character in that film, whatever movie he did in 2000. I'm not going to Google it. The point is, I knew that they were actors. I knew that what I had seen wasn't real. Didn't help. Me telling myself, bro, it's a movie. They're working on other movies right now. No. Heart rate was 150. It may have even gotten as high as 160. In effect, I was scared to death. And this was after having studied and gotten my degree from New York University and been, as I say, witness to some real sick shit, some really disturbing, brain-twisting, what the fuck did I just watch? Things. Nothing hit me like the Blair Witch Project on that first viewing. So I went to see the movie twice more in theaters, once on my own, and... Yeah, the second time I saw it, the movie worked even better uh, because then I picked up on even more things from the first, like, 20 minutes. Um, and then I saw it with a friend who thought it was just okay. So three times in theaters. Very unusual for me to see a film three times in theaters. That may be the only one now that I'm thinking about. Truman Show I saw twice in the first two days. Once on my own, once with my dad. But the movie ended up Hitting. And despite the fact that there were a lot of people who had that reaction of, what the fuck is going on? How could anybody be scared? This movie is so boring. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. It happens up here. And sometimes that's enough. So the movie, as I say, ended up being an incredibly shocking box office success in a summer with other huge box office hits. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Austin Powers, A Spy Who Shagged. Breakdown with Kurt Russell. My Best Friend's Wedding, Julia Roberts. 
and other big movies. I think Runaway Bride was summer of 1999. There were so many box office hits, and Blair Witch Project held its own with all of the major releases. Shooting it out, the little $60,000 movie that could. Film then entered into the lexicon, as we say, and then people after a, a little while realized, okay, it's, this is Korean. They're filmmakers. Yeah. They're just actors. The movie did very well in the early days of DVD. They, they had like a making of featurette. I remember purchasing it. And they did a sequel which came out the next year, starring a very young Jeffrey Donovan. Many of you know, terrific actor. He was on the show uh, Burn Notes, never saw it. Among others, he was in Hitch with Will Smith. Um, but yeah, he worked with Bruce Campbell on Burn Notice. Bruce Campbell, another one of my favorites. Uh, and and it, it wasn't good. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, terrible. And then they did a movie in 2016 called, I believe, just The Blair Witch, also not good. The original was untouchable. Nothing to do with the budget. Oh, it's not a big budget. It is a big budget. I've seen the film at least a dozen times from start to finish. And it never fails to get that factor to unnerve me and unsettle me, even though I know what's coming and even though I know it isn't real. It just, the film has a magic to it. And I would say even now, because it's so many years later, people watching it for the first time, it's less likely that they're going to really enjoy it because they've seen this style of movie with a bigger budget and more deliberate jump scares. Blair Witch Project doesn't have any jump scares. It's three students in the woods filming everything, recording audio of everything, and then something either happens upon them or doesn't, and the noises either make sense or don't, and they can't find their way out of the woods or a witch is after them and there's some kind of strange enchantment going. That's what's terrifying, because the movie does not pose questions and then answer them. And I briefly touched on um, a book, one of the best books that I read during my days at New York University, uh, Noel Carroll's The Philosophy of Horror. And Noel Carroll, in this book, in his estimation for a film, any film, to be a classic horror film, it must have four distinct functions or points or whatever word you want to use to it. But there have to be four components for it to be a true classic horror film. And classic in this instance doesn't mean a great movie, but just that it follows these tenets. Onset, discovery, confirmation, confrontation. Onset, there's a monster. Jaws, onset. The Susan Backliney character, but, but I forgot the name of the character in the movie, dies. Discovery, they discover her mangled body. Now confirmation in Jaws is not Roy Scheider saying, hey, we've got ourselves a shark, or Richard Dreyfuss saying, hey, we've got ourselves an eating machine. Confirmation doesn't come really until Murray Hamilton as mayor says, we're fucked. We're really fucked. And then confrontation, the guys go out on the boat, you're going to need a bigger boat. 
There are certain horror movies that satisfy three. Not every horror movie has the confirmation. Onset, discovery, confrontation. And then there are horror movies that only have one. Creepshow 2, the segment, Stephen King, um, The Raft. It's all onset. They don't discover the deadly oil slick. It kind of happens upon them. There's nothing to confirm because nobody knows what the fuck it is, and they have no means with which to confront it. It's essentially a half-hour, 35-minute short film that is all onset. It's horror, but it's not classic horror. It doesn't follow those tenets. The Blair Witch Project, you can argue, is all onset. It's an hour and a half of onset. There's nothing to discover. We don't see anything. We hear a bunch of random noises. Maybe it's a deer. Could be a deer, man. I don't think it's a fucking deer. Did you hear that baby crying? There's no fucking baby. There's no fucking baby. I heard it. There's no fucking baby. Well, we're in the middle of the fucking woods. What the hell are you talking about? There's no fucking baby out here. There's nothing to confirm. And there's nothing to confront. The Blair Witch Project, what I consider to be an almost perfect horror film, despite the fact that it does not follow the tenets of classic horror. And I don't know that the filmmakers knew any of this shit. Did Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez read Noel Carroll's The Philosophy of Art? Maybe. But I don't think that they were going around, ooh, let's make a horror film that's all onset. No. How can we scare the shit out of audiences with this limited budget by forcing them to use their imaginations. And that's what they did. That's what they did. They were able to pull things together. I mean, it's so absurd. I listened to their director commentary. It's so simple. When the, um, the principals in the movie, the characters of Joshua, or Josh, and Heather go into the creepy house at the end, you know, the first time you see it, there's these kind of, there's like paint on the walls and it's like blood, and it looks like desperate handprints. You listen to them do the audio commentary, they said, yeah, we, we had um, my nieces and nephews came in there and they spent a day hand painting all over this fucking house. I remember cracking up because watching the movie without knowing that, hey, it sounds, seems like they've got something going on here where they're torturing people and torturing children. Kids were having a blast. He said it was the best day on set because there was no pressure. It was just a bunch of six-year-old kids running around going like that with hand paint. The magic of movies. Without them doing that director commentary, well, I wouldn't have known that's how they did it. But watching the first time, that was sure creepy as fuck. I don't know. I assume that there will be a 25th anniversary, like a series of screenings. It's not The Exorcist. But there was a 25th, excuse me, 50th anniversary of The Exorcist that I attended with Kenny, which was phenomenal, and a kind of 38th anniversary screening of Back to the Future. So I am very confident it could be Alamo Draft House or something like that. Uh, but there will be 25th anniversary screenings. They'll probably strike up, you know, new prints of the Blair Witch Project. Uh, it doesn't really matter because it's not like the movie can look that good. It was all shot on either 16 millimeter or video. Or both, in some cases. The sound is not going to be spectacular because it's, you know, um, ambient sound. It's whatever was going on out there. And I'm sure they cleaned up a little bit. 
There's one moment in the film where it sounds like a helicopter flying overhead that they left in. Probably shouldn't have left that in. Right? If there's a helicopter, then what's going on? Should be able to be rescued, shouldn't they? But all these years later, the movie has not lost its ability to horrify and terrify. Even with all the different people telling me, it's not scary, Jerry. I don't know what movie you watch. The one I watch sucks. But that's what makes a horse race. It's okay. There's no crime. No, nobody gets hurt. And nobody got hurt in the making of that movie. Filmmakers are still alive. As I said, they've had terrific careers. So, to close, The Blair Witch Project is among my top five favorite horror films. Um, I don't know where it ranks. It's very difficult because it's the sort of thing that would change uh, with time. Angel Heart is definitely my number one because I think it's just a great movie and it happens to be a horror film. It's just gorgeously shot and beautifully acted and scary as hell. The original Candyman would definitely be on my list of the best horror. Is The Exorcist really a horror film? Eh, I don't know. The Wicker Man, 1973, not the Nick Cage. The one with Sir Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward and Rid Eckman. Definitely on my list. And, um, you know, Conjuring is pretty creepy. M. Night Shyamalan signs, pretty creepy. The Visit that he did, also pretty creepy. But I don't really have any strong feelings about that. But The Blair Witch Project, certainly in my all-time top five favorite horror films. And with that, we've reached the end of episode 90 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all once again for joining me here on this Saturday night. And if you checked out